Good morning again. If you would turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. This morning we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the passage specifically that Eileen was just reading. Advent is about waiting. We've heard that theme quite a bit this morning. And um, if I'll give you an illustration of waiting. Uh, I was trying to love my wife yesterday and foolishly enough agreed to go to bend with her <laughs> on the Saturday before Christmas. And all the men in the room are looking at me like, what are you thinking? Like, have you lost your mind? Um, and we had, a nice, we had a nice time together. It was enjoyable. But, you know, nowadays when you go to Bend, especially the Saturday before Christmas, it's like three or four miles before Bend, you just stop. Because that's when the traffic stops. And you just go a little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time. And at that point, we just go, this is going to be a long day, isn't it? We only have to stop at like three places, and we're going to be here a long time. Now, when I was a kid growing up in Prineville, um, Prineville was about 6,000 people for a long time. And Bend was like 30,000 people, okay? And from the estimates I've heard, Bend is quadruple. It's over 100,000, pushing 120 now. And Prineville is now over 11,000 for the first time. And as we're sitting at a traffic light, about waiting for the second or third light to turn green for us, we're, I look at Carrie, I'm like, I wonder, does Bend have a plan for this? Like, do they have any, any plan for trying to figure out how to, how to get this traffic because we haven't, get this traffic to work because um, you're just kind of sitting in it for a long time. And Bend, Prineville wasn't created for 11,000 people, right? It wasn't planned for 11,000 people. Bend wasn't planned for over 100,000 people. And so in this time when we live in busy times and people are moving in from everywhere, a lot of times when we get in our car, what we have to do is wait, right? A lot of waiting, a lot of hurrying up and waiting. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, basically he says, wait. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And, and that can be translated actually as stop laying up. Stop treasuring treasures of the earth. Stop doing that. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And rewards and treasures are two concepts that Jesus has kind of brought out in this chapter, in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. So in, in chapter 6, the first uh, few verses, the first 18 or so verses, he speaks of rewards over and over again. And now he begins to speak of treasures. And I want to put forward to you that the two are really the same thing. When he speaks about rewards, when he speaks about treasures, he's referring to the same thing. If you look back in, in chapter 5, verse 12, he speaks of rejoicing and being glad for your reward is great in heaven. And now he speaks here of treasures in heaven. The nuance is different between the two words, between the, the idea of rewards and the idea of treasures. Rewards really describe something that you earn or that you win or that you gain through your action, right? So you run a, you run a race or you, or you do something amazing and you get a reward. You receive something for what you've done. But a treasure describes something that you care about. So when Jesus 
when Jesus kind of changes his language from rewards to treasures, now he's talking about our hearts. He's talking about something that we desire, that we love. And there's a treasured nature to the rewards that we seek. We will seek rewards because we desire them, because we treasure them. And finally, just as there are two different kinds of rewards, you see it in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, when, when Jesus talks about giving to the needy, and then when he talks about prayer, and then in verses 16 to 18, he talks about fasting, and he says, here's the rewards that you can pursue. You can pursue, you can pursue people seeing you and praising you, or you can pursue a reward with your Father. And just as there are two different kinds of rewards, there's two different kinds of treasures And they either fall in line with what what the Bible calls wisdom or what the Bible calls folly. And so there are treasured rewards that align with folly. So chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 and 16 to 18, Jesus gives these examples of specific rewards that fall into the category of foolishness or folly. To be praised by others, verse 2. He says, "Don't, don't give to the needy to be praised by others. Or in verse 5, don't, don't pray. In verse 16, don't fast in order to be seen by others. It's, and, it, and it's easy to get the pressure when we think of those rewards of being praised or being seen by others. It's, get, it's easy to get the impression, since they're foolish rewards, that they're not actually real rewards. But in this, that's not the case at all. They are real rewards. Jesus is saying, if you pursue these things, you'll, you'll get them as a reward. They will be given to you. They're very real rewards. And they're also rewards that are deserved, right? They're the proper prize for the action that's being performed. And on top of this, they're desired rewards. They are actually treasures. So those who pursue these rewards actually want them. And in fact, they would do anything for them. They would even perhaps give their lives for them. But even though these rewards are real, they're, they're fleeting and they're fickle. They're like dust. They, they don't last longer than the action itself. So when you do something and people praise you for it, how long does that praise last? It lasts until the applause dies down and your reward is gone. When people no longer see your actions, the treasure has faded. The, per, the perfect modern example, and there's many in my mind, is this thing. Or if you're... if, if uh, Facebook thumbs are so like 2019, Uh, maybe the Instagram heart, you know. How many times do you post on social media in order to get a thumbs up and a thumbs up and, oh, I just didn't get as many likes as I wanted from my post on Instagram, so what do I need to do? I need to work really hard and and do a better one so I get as many hearts and likes as I want, and then what's next? It keeps continuing on and continuing on, and it fades You see, every human being has the ability and the right to pursue the rewards of folly, to pursue other people's praise, to lay up ephemeral treasures. But Jesus wants to be clear about these treasures. He wants to be clear to us that they're momentary, they're not eternal. And because they're momentary, they're foolish. It's foolish to pursue these rewards. And not only that, but if if you claim, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we claim to be disciples of Jesus, then these are rewards that are not becoming of a citizen of the kingdom of God. And just as it's foolish to pursue fleeting rewards, it's also foolish to lay up 
fleeting treasures. These are the, the kinds of treasures, Jesus explains, that are, that are stored on earth. And the interesting thing is, when Jesus was talking, he was talking to people who lived in a society. Did I just lose sound? Or Okay, we're good. Keep going. Um, that live in a society that didn't have banks. So you didn't take your money and go put it in a bank. You took your money and you hid it in the ground. If you had something treasure, you hide it under your bed. You dig as far as you can. You find the, the, the most private space and dig into the ground. So quite literally, when Jesus spoke about storing up treasures on earth, it was like people did that. They stored up treasures in the earth, literally. Of course, Jesus is speaking more fully and more metaphorically here and begging the question of each of us, are you storing up earthly treasures or are you storing up heavenly ones? By definition, the treasures that are stored up on earth are treasures that are of the earth. So you might think of money. You might think of possessions. You might think of your status. You might think of your youth, your youthfulness, your, your, your life itself. You might think of your image, your reputation. These are things which are accessible in the here and now, meaning that they're accessible in a specific location and they're, they're accessible for a specific time period. Thus, they have, they have relative value really based on their location and their duration, And in regard to their duration, these treasures on earth are temporal in nature. And what I mean by that is they have a beginning and they have an end. They're not eternal. They have an expiration date. They're perishable and fading. And so Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth, you know, moths will eat away at fabric and those kinds of things, and rust, which is probably not the right word. It really means something that eats away at something. So things that eat, whether it be at metal or other things, the things that consume, those are the things that have their way with earthly treasures. They will, be, they will curdle, they will mold, they will wither, they will combust, they will do whatever else happens to things that perish. And just like the, the potential rewards of being praised or being seen by other people, these treasures are fleeting. They only last a moment. It's like driving through post, and you blink and you miss it. That's what they are like. I'm not saying post is a bad place. I'm just saying it's small, right? You blink and you miss it. And so, so Jesus' warning is in line with the ancient Proverbs. We see Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. And then Proverbs 27, 24, For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? So in regard to location, where these treasures are, these are treasures that are limited in their location. They only exist on earth. Sorry, I think I'm getting my... uh, Okay, interesting. That's not what I want. Oh, here we go. Here we go. There we go. Limited. Thank you. They, they only exist on earth. They don't exist in heaven. In other words, you've heard the phrase, you can't take it with you. 
These are the kind of things that when you die, you're not going to bring them with me. Like Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. You can't take these things with you. It's like if you've ever gone to an arcade. Anybody? Chuck E. Cheese? Something like that. You go to an arcade, you play games, but you go there and there's a token machine. You can take your money to the token machine, you put your, your U.S. dollar bill in there and you get tokens out. And it's great while you're in the arcade, but as soon as you go out the door, how much value do those tokens have? None. They're completely worthless outside of that specific place. Most of us will receive something in a week on Christmas, a new item of clothing, maybe a new tool, maybe a new toy or the the latest technological gadget, and we all know how amazing these things seem in the moment and then how their newness quickly fades. That's the nature of earthly treasures. The ability to enjoy these treasures will disappear one day when they're no longer available to us or when moth and rust destroy them. Furthermore, Because these are earthly treasures, because they're located on earth, they are by nature vulnerable. In other words, you can't really protect them. They can be taken from you. Jesus says, thieves will break in and steal. Have you ever had anything stolen from you? And you know know the feeling of violation, of vulnerability, of attack that comes to you. The first thing, major thing I ever had stolen from me uh, was a bicycle, and it got stolen right off the back of my van. It was on a, you know, on, a, on a bike rack on the back of my van when we were living in L.A., and right out of the, the carport of our apartment. <laughs> Just one morning, I looked down, and it's not there, and the straps are cut, and it wasn't a very expensive bike. I didn't even ride it very much, but the, the feeling of violation, the feeling of vulnerability, you understand if that, something like that has happened to you, and even in that Even in that moment, it feels like an act of violence done towards you. And Jesus is saying that earthly treasures all are vulnerable to that. There's not a bank in the world that is strong enough. There's not a government in the world or an army in the world that is strong enough to protect these things eternally. And most of us are pretty protective of our money, of our, of our possessions, of our families, of our loved ones. We put things in banks. We, we heighten our security. We deadbolt our doors. We have a loaded weapon on us at all times in order to protect. But Jesus simply says to us, you cannot protect these things forever. They are vulnerable. I don't know if you remember the movie from the mid-90s called Sneakers. And it was a Robert Redford movie. Uh, where he owned a company that basically their job, they would be hired by banks to come in and break into the bank and take out a bunch of money and then meet with the leaders of the bank afterwards and say, here's where you're vulnerable. Here's how we got in. Here's what you need to do to protect yourself. And I know there's organizations that do that even today. But no matter how many protections you put in place, there is always a way to get to your earthly treasures. They will not last. You will not be able to take them with you. And so we come then to heavenly treasures. And in contrast to these treasures stored on, up on earth, Jesus actually offers us a way of wisdom, what he calls treasures stored up in heaven. And it's wise, according to Jesus, to to pursue these lasting treasures, to to lay up treasures that will, will endure. These are treasures, Jesus says, that are rewards given to us by our Father. 
And just as earthly treasure is temporal, heavenly treasure is lasting and eternal. Earthly treasure is perishable, but heavenly treasure is imperishable and undefiled. They they won't go bad or rot. They won't rust or decompose. Moth nor rust or anything else can touch them. And just as earthly treasure is limited, heavenly treasure transcends this physical life. And as earthly treasure is vulnerable to theft and and bankruptcies and market corrections or or human fickleness, heavenly treasure is invulnerable. So listen to the Apostle Peter as he speaks about the nature of these treasures. 1 Peter 1, 3-5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. Listen to those words, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, guarded by God's power through faith. And that that last phrase should demand our attention for a moment. Guarded by God's power through faith. Because it reveals to us that the deciding issue for whether we will pursue earthly rewards or heavenly treasures, earthly treasures or heavenly rewards, is faith. In other words, do we trust God with our rewards? Or would you rather handle it yourself? Do you trust God in the waiting? And remember, Advent reminds us that what life here and now is all about is waiting. Do you trust God in the waiting, assured that your reward, that your treasure will be waiting for you assuredly? So what are these treasured rewards? And we already looked at what earthly treasures might be, like money or possessions or beauty, youth, popularity, prestige, power, reputation, other people maybe, your physical life perhaps. But what are are these treasures in heaven that Jesus is talking about? What exactly are the rewards which our Father will give us in secret? What is the inheritance that, that Peter talks about being promised to Jesus's people. Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, and if you'd like, you can flip a few pages to your right. In Matthew 13, Jesus told two parables, and they're very short, and they make the same basic point about the treasure to which he is referring here. Matthew 13, starting at verse 44, really short, three verses, says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding a pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. All right, three verses, two, no, three sentences, two parables. 
Jesus is very concise with his language here, but he gets the point across very clearly with, with two different images. And the message is simple, that the treasured reward that is the kingdom of heaven, the treasured reward that is the kingdom of heaven is worth giving up every earthly treasure to possess. And this treasured reward, which is the kingdom of heaven, which can also be shorthand for God himself, who comes along with the kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, he gives us himself. And this treasured reward can only be possessed when every other kind of treasure is abandoned. And not hesitantly, like, not, oh, I really don't want to give that up. But as verse 44 tells us, with joy. That we would with joy give up these other things to have God himself. Our treasured reward. This concept of joy takes us to the very thing I think that Jesus has been addressing throughout the Sermon on the Mount, which is our hearts. And this is abundantly clear. Jesus makes this clear in Matthew 6, 21 at the very end of our passage for today where he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way of saying this is that your heart, which is your time, your attention, your energy, your affection, your love, really your entire person, that your heart is oriented toward and tied up with the things that you treasure the most. You will think about them. You will care about them. You will lose sleep over them. Your, your, your heart will be connected with them. And loving something and treasuring something are really the same thing. So to identify what you treasure is simply to identify what you most love. Let me just give you three quick litmus tests for discerning what it is that you treasure the most. Your calendar, your checkbook, and your distractions. Now, some of you go like, I don't even keep a calendar. What are you talking about? Well, what do you do with your time? Some of you young people don't even know what a checkbook is. The question is, what do you do with your money? And your distractions, what do you do with your thoughts? Because without fail, we will devote these three things, our time, our money, our thoughts, to what we love and what we value the most. Your treasures reveal the orientation of your heart. Is your heart directed towards earthly things or heavenly things? An earthly orientation means that money and possessions and power and the things of this world have captured your heart and your energy, and your values, and your priorities. A heavenly orientation means that love for God is our first priority. And your heart is oriented towards him and his kingdom and his values and his priorities. So, so to store up treasures in heaven, we must begin with a reorientation of our hearts. And by definition, that reorientation is painful. Sorry, you thought I was going to say fun or joyful or super happy. It's painful. It's painful to take something away or give something away that you love and value. It requires a giving up of many of the things that we naturally love. We cannot tell God that we want to love him more and at the same time be willing, unwilling to give up the things that we treasure more than we treasure him. At the risk of being crass, it's like a man who continually cheats on his wife and yet longs for the marriage to work out. We all know how that story is likely to end. 
To reorient the heart is, is willingly to abandon the treasures that have captured our love and our attention so that our hearts might be able to attach onto and love a new and better treasure, really the only treasure that's worthy of our hearts, that's worthy of our affection. Unless we talk too much about our own hearts and our own loves, I want to bring us back to the love that really matters, and it's God's love. And God's love is a generous love. That's the very nature of his love is generosity. It's the, it's the expression of his heart. It's the expression of his character towards his creatures. And the beautiful thing about God, as 1 John tells us, is that God is love. And that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And in other words, our very identity as human beings is in this fact that we are made and loved by God. You may have trouble hearing that. You might have trouble wrapping your own mind and heart around that. You, you may have trouble because of whatever's happened in your past or because who you think you are or what you've done, that God would actually love you. But know this as a foundational fact of the scriptures and of, of the world, that God has said he loves you. You are loved by God. Perhaps the fundamental question of your existence is, do you know God's unhindered, imperishable love for you? And coming to grips with this reality is really the first step of, of reorienting our hearts towards heavenly treasures. Because the reality of God's love allows our own loves, our own hearts, to be reoriented to the most valuable thing in the universe, God himself. So what we love must first be defined by who loves us. What we love must, must first be character or must first characterize who loves us, who we are loved by. And that's the beauty of Christmas, as Jasmine and Zach sang, that love came down. Love came down and became human. As the kids said up here, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the ultimate treasure in the universe came down to give his life for us so that we could once again treasure him as we should. Say that one more time. The ultimate treasure in the universe came down to give his life for us so that we could once again treasure him as we should. And as we, in the security of God's unbreakable love, as we reorient our hearts to treasure him above all, we will find ourselves transformed. Because the very love of God will begin to flow into us and out of us to others. God is love. And those who love God, those who treasure him above all, will become like him. This is what Jesus said in John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. In other words, everyone will know that I love you and that you love me if you love one another. And in the end, you become like whatever you love. You are what you love. If you love money, you'll become like money. And you'll fade. 
and you'll be used as a tool, and you'll be spent, and you'll disappear. If you love the praise of people, you'll become like it and ultimately become a faint echo that no one will be able to hear. But if you love God above all others, then you will become like him. And to become like him is to love with a fullness of generosity that the world has rarely seen. So by changing your treasures, you can also change your heart. That's where I just want to land this morning. By changing your treasures, you can also change your heart, which means on a very practical level that that you must, that we must lay down the things we most treasure on earth so that we can take hold of heavenly treasures. In other words, the practice of generosity, the practice of actually giving things away, of generous love, is how we habituate our, our hearts to love God more. So we don't start in a vacuum and just say, I love God, therefore I will be generous, because none of us start loving God. That will come in time, that out of our love for God will flow a generosity, but the initial order is this, that God has first been generous with me, so therefore I will be generous even when I don't want to, even when it hurts, even when it's painful because I want to love God more. I want these earthly treasures, this money, these possessions, my time to have less and less of a hold over my affections. I I want their grip on my heart to be loosened. And as I give things away to my neighbors, to my friends, to the needy in my community, maybe to a community on the other side of the planet that doesn't have any clean water or sanitation through life water, as I give these things away, my heart becomes less attached to them, to these things, and more attached to God. But it takes an act. It takes giving. It takes generosity. It takes giving even when it hurts, sacrificially. And this doesn't happen overnight because we live in a time of waiting. And we walk through life waiting in love, trusting that the heavenly treasures that God promises are worth more and last longer than the things to which our hearts are so attached. Would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning in the name of Jesus as his people wanting to treasure you more than any other. And if we're honest in our heart of hearts, there are so many things that we treasure more than you. There are things that we hold on to. There are things that we value, that we give our time and our energy and our money and our thoughts to. Father, I want to be free from those things so that I can love you with with abandon, without limits, and so that I can love others as you would love them. Father, I pray that for us as a people now, that even during this Christmas time that has become highly commercialized, that is so connected with how we spend our money and what we do with it. God, that during this time of Advent and as we look at Jesus, as we look back to his first coming and forward to his second coming, Lord. Would we be people who live in hope and peace and joy and love because of what you've done for us, because of what you do for us, and because of what you will continue to do. 
Father, I pray that every person in this room would know in a new way today, would your spirit impress on their spirit your deep love for them, your imperishable, incorrigible, unstoppable love for them. And God, that they would be secure in that love, secure enough to let go of all the things that give meaning, all the things that numb us, all the things that take away our attention and our desires and our affections and turn all of that to you. God, would you be honored this week as we go into Christmas, as we spend time with our families and our loved ones, would you be honored in how we love? May people look at us and know that we belong to Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you.